I think one thing we want to make clear is that today the fellowship is intended in no way to be prescriptive and should not be taken as the way to do things. Um, it's just learning. So we're all learning. And so we just are passing on things that we've learned and others have learned. And uh, <clears throat> it should really be taken in the way of principle, um, not as a method to be duplicated or promoted. So anyway, we want to make sure we say that at the beginning. Uh, also, as a prelude to this fellowship, we are assuming, okay, so we're making some assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, and these assumptions are that um, we have been personally revived by the Lord and we are allowing him to touch us in our inner being, okay? Point one. We're, and also, we are part of a healthy and vital coordination. And we, when we use the word vital, one way of understanding that, it means you can't live without the people you are coordinating with. Can't live you just without. can't live without them. Okay. And also, there, you're, we are, um, have a practice of desperate and thorough and fighting prayer for those who we are with in our group and those we're caring for, these are all things that are essential for bearing fruit, for the increase of the body of Christ. Um, but we are making assumptions that that is kind of all of our understanding because this time is not going to be focused on those things. We're going to be focusing on other things. So we are assuming that we all kind of have this understanding going into this. We all need to be revived by the Lord. We all need to be endeavoring to be built together with those around us so we can bear fruit together. And we, there's just no way for any of this to be effective without desperate and thorough and fighting prayer. So that's kind of our, our base, our baseline, okay? We're going to run just through some kind of, I guess you could say, introductory stuff um, that is important. Um, but we're going to go through it kind of quickly. So um, the first thing is that if we go to 1 Corinthians um, chapter, uh, chapter 9, um, verses... Um, 16 through 23 is what we're going to look at. But um, in, in these verses, Paul uses this phrase, that I might gain some, or that I might gain the more. I might gain those under law. I might gain those without the law. That I might by all means save some. So uh, when we use the phrase gaining people, we mean it in this sense. We mean gaining people for the increase of the body of Christ. And so uh, to bear fruit is to bear fruit for the increase of the body of Christ. And when we talk about bearing fruit, we mean we're talking about gaining people. Now, when we say bearing fruit, we get that 
from John 15. So if we go to John uh, 15, uh, the Lord refers to himself as the vine and to the believers as branches. And what the branches do is they bear fruit. They abide in the vine. And the consequence of their abiding is that they bear fruit. And so um, uh, this uh, bearing of fruit is actually intended to glorify the Father. And the Lord, he has set us. He has set us as and chosen us that we should go forth and bear fruit. And if you go to verse 16, maybe we can get Cosette to read that for us. Verse 16. Sure. Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I set you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Right. So here we see this phrase that your fruit should remain. So we don't want, we're not just trying to get people saved. We want them to remain. We want them, and we'll get into this, we eventually want them to become what we are. We want to, we want to reproduce ourselves. So it's actually important what we are becoming as well. Okay, I've always so heard the expression, right, like remaining fruit, uh -huh. but I never knew where it came from. I didn't know it was, that was also biblical, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. John 15, 16, we bear, we, we want to bear fruit that remains. And, mm -hmm. you know, when the, when the Lord said this, you know, he's, he, he describes this, uh, the, the, really it's the body of Christ as this organism where you have the vine and you have the branches and they're bearing fruit. But how do, what does that look like? What does that, how do you, what does that practically look like? And to see what that looks like, we have to go to Acts chapter two. And so in Acts two, um, 46 and 47, maybe because that you could read that for us as well. Sure. Um, and day by day, continuing steadfastly with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they partook of their food with exultation and simplicity of heart praising God and having grace with all the people. And the Lord added together day by day, those who were being saved. Mm. Wow. Okay. So first of all, day by day, what does bearing fruit look like? Bearing remaining fruit is day by day. So that implies an investment of time. Yeah. Uh, and this is our church life. And this is how we are spend time with people. It has to be day by day. Then continuing steadfastly with one accord in the temple. Um, this actually is more in reference to our larger meetings. And then breaking bread from house to house refers to our daily church life. So in the homes, the saints were breaking bread together and they were partaking of their food with exultation and simplicity of heart implying that not only were they enjoying the Lord, but the Lord was actually dealing with them inwardly so that they, in their hearts, they were simple. So this is a group of people who are under the Lord's working inwardly. They're in a daily church life, breaking bread together. They're praising God. And then it says they, as a result, they have grace with all the people. 
And this word grace can also be translated as favor. So they had a particular kind of living. They were abiding in the vine, in the Lord as the vine. And the result was the people were attracted to them. They said, this is a group of people who love one another. They can't live without each other. They're simple. They're, they, they eat together all the time. This kind of living is very, very attractive. And then the result is the Lord added together day by day those who were being saved. So, and the, the Lord was adding to the church. Um, there's a whole other side of the way you can look at this, um, where you see that actually these groups of people in Acts, they had a spiritual condition. They were, they were properly spiritual. Their relationships were not um, natural, but they also loved one another, and they loved one another with one accord. And because they had this experience of loving one another and uh, a spiritual relationship, they were able to realize the purpose of their being together, which was to bear fruit. And so the Lord was able to add to them. Okay, so when we talk about bearing fruit, this is what we mean. It's actually, there's both a personal side and there's a corporate side. Okay, so now I'm gonna turn it over to Trevor, who is gonna to talk to us about Tell us about the goal. What should our what is our goal when we are wanting to save people or or present the truth to them? Okay, so this um, this part is is uh, it really hits home for me because serving the Lord full time, like Nathaniel and I do, and like a lot of other people that I'm with every day, it's very good to know why we're doing this. Um, so this was a question that was asked to us when I was in Bible school and I got a concept massively adjusted, but before I tell you what the answer was or what I guessed, I would like to ask the set, what is the goal? The goal of bearing fruit? That's that yes. what you're asking? Um, what is the ultimate goal? There's a lot of little goals along the way, but what's the ultimate goal? This might be too far, but New Jerusalem? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, so, so I mean, yeah, it's, it's to bring the Lord back, right? That's, yeah. that's what we want to do. We want to bring the Lord back, correct? Yes. So, so then we have to kind of work backwards. And working backwards, you know, you've got to come up with different, uh, different things that eventually reach that goal. And all of those are like little goals, you know, like, for instance, when I'm with a person, um, the, one of the goals is that they would come to the full knowledge of the truth. One of the goals is that they would be saved and baptized. One of the goals. So there's little, little kind of victories along the way, but it's good to know what the ultimate uh, thing is. So when, when I was in Bible school, there was a brother who was up there speaking and he said, you know, what is, what is your goal? Is your goal simply 
to bring people into the church life. And I was, I was sitting there. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, totally. That's my goal. You know, like I, I spent it, I spent a couple of years in, in Austin and like, yeah, that's the goal. And, and he told us that if that is your goal, your vision is far too low. Your vision's far too low. Our, our vision or our goal, that's another way of saying goal. Our vision is actually to produce overcomers. That is what will bring the Lord back. Okay. So this is, this is kind of crazy because, you know, we're, we're going to go through this whole section later where we talk about you can only produce what you are. So it said, if, if you can only produce what you are and the goal is to produce overcomers, what does that mean you have to be? An overcomer. Okay. So that, okay. So now I can't produce something that I am not. And so we're going to cover that a little bit later. But this, this, I've got to be honest, us getting into this topic and everything, this little section helped me out a lot. It helped me out a lot. And uh, it was very, re it, was, it was very adjusting uh, for me because uh, you can, you can honestly, you know, my job is not to wake up and, and sell products. Okay. I'm not doing that. I'm waking up and, and, and my, my quote job is to tell people about the Lord. And sometimes you want to like, uh, sometimes you want to get fulfillment from that. You, you want like, uh, you want to feel accomplished. And so you, sometimes you, what you end up doing is you feel accomplished if your peers um, acknowledge that what you're doing is a good job. Okay. This is just one of the things. And so what we, what we end up doing, and I'm guilty of this, I think other people are guilty of it. And the thing about this is really interesting. If we go to Acts 1, I, I really love this verse. It's Acts 124. Uh, can you read this? Yeah. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, knower of the hearts of all, show us clearly the one whom you have chosen of these two. Okay. So this is, this is interesting because... He is the knower of all hearts. He said, I don't, I don't know your heart. Okay. And I don't know yours either. So we're in the same boat. <laughs> that is true. You don't. Okay. But out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. Okay. But you, so you don't know my heart. Okay. And the thing is, this is between you and the Lord. Only the Lord knows your motive. Okay. Only the Lord knows your goal. So one of the things that, that happened when I first, uh, you know, started to really take the Lord seriously, I was in a Bible school in Australia and this Bible school, they really emphasize this point. And it, it's in, it's in Matthew six, five. And I know you guys have, have uh, probably read this before. Uh, Cassette, can you hit that? Sure. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Okay, so this is the thing. They really emphasized this in the Bible school I was in. You know, if you go out and baptize somebody, don't tell anybody. Because if you tell somebody, then that's just boasting and you just received your reward and your reward was the glory of men, okay? 
And so they would, man, they would really emphasize this. And so, man, if we went out and saved people, we wouldn't tell anybody, you know, it was like, it was like this hidden treasure between us and God, you know? Okay. This might be taking it a little too far, but the thing, the thing is, the thing is, um, when I was, when I was, uh, later on, uh, when I was in Bible school, I was talking to this brother and some of you, I think know him, um, his name is Dan Sadie. And I was talking, I was talking to brother Dan and I asked, I asked Dan, I was just kind of like conflicted, you know, like I, I was a little, I was a little cautious about, okay, I'm contacting people who are already saved. Okay. And, and I contact that person who's already saved in, in, and they're pursuing the Lord wherever they are. And it seems like my goal is to get them to leave that and come to my thing. And it just seems a bit wrong. It seems a bit wrong. You know, I, I, it's just like, you know, and so this is what I'm going to read you exactly what he said. Okay. He said, have you ever had that thought before? Okay. So we're speaking to the choir here. Okay. Oh, wait, can you, so I'm going to, I'm going to read you. Okay. I realized I was on mute. I had my mic muted, but I was gonna say that's one of the things that kind of first bothered me about this yeah. whole like when I first had like fruit bearing presented to me, I was like, so what makes this real? Like, how come they should leave that thing and come to with a church life? You know. <laughs> okay. So this is this is what he said to me, and I this has really helped me throughout the years. He says, "What do you think you're meeting in? If we were trying to get people in our group." All we are is a sectarian enterprise. But if you are trying to get someone to meet on the genuine ground of the church, the one body of Christ and the Lord's recovery, and you are pure in motive, it all comes down to motive. We simply present the truth. This brings in light. If you reject it, okay, you're not interested. Okay, so this is, this is the thing. The, the reason why this is so adjusting to me, Cassette, is when I go out and contact someone, what is my motive? What is my goal? Do I genuinely care about that person? When I invite them to a conference, am I inviting them so that people will see that I brought fruit to the conference? The Lord knows. Or am I inviting them because I genuinely want them to be fed at the conference and receive light. And maybe it's a little mixture of both and we need to repent for the bad part, okay? But the thing is the Lord knows. And actually the moment you're speaking to a person, and I know this from my experience, the moment I'm speaking to a person, I know what my motive is. Am I trying to convince them to take this way? Or am I genuinely just wanting them to know the truth, okay? So this is something, this has to do with our care for people, our motive, our goal, and the Lord is the knower of hearts, and he knows exactly what you're trying to do, okay? So this was actually very exposing for me. I kind of revisited this topic this week, and uh, it was very, I think it's very healthy for us to consider. Now, at this point, I'm going to hand it off to Nathaniel, and he's going to talk a little bit um, more on this topic. Yeah, just, um, you know, we're no longer in the age of spiritual giants. So sometimes when we think about being an overcomer and producing overcomers, 
as just the word overcomer in and of itself can have the connotation of somebody who's just pretty amazing in all aspects of their life and walk with the Lord. And it can even seem somewhat unattainable. Um, but one thing to realize is that actually an overcomer is someone who works according to the principle of the body. So overcomers, they're really corporate. They're, you, you, you can't be an overcomer uh, I, will, I will say it'll be, it would be very, very difficult to be an overcomer by yourself. And, you know, really, okay, if you're like a, maybe if you're a single person and, you know, you don't have many attachments and you've got a lot of time, then perhaps, you know, you have the way to be very active for the Lord and do many things. Well, let's say you have a family. Let's say you have kids. Okay, your time is limited. Your energy is limited. So what you can what you can quote unquote do for the Lord may be outwardly limited. So you ha you have to depend on other people. You need other people um, in order just to make it. And so, you know, to me the standard always is if you're in a group, if you you know, let's say you're a mother with three kids and you're in a group. Okay, that mother has to be able to become an overcomer. Otherwise, there's a failure there. And the failure is not on the mother, just on the mother's side. It's on everyone in that group. Because really, you know, the mother should not be expected to have to try to do all the different things that you need to do in order to gain people. Her only function may be just to bring her kids to the meeting. But when she does that, it creates an atmosphere that's incredibly cherishing and people come into that atmosphere. And whenever you uh, you gain someone in that group, well, it goes to that mother's account just as much as anyone else. So anyway, when we talk about overcoming, it's this is not an individual thing. This is really uh, something corporate. And there's these... Um, there's a brother named Watchman Nee. He wrote this book called The Glorious Church. And um, he, uh, he made this comment, you know, general work now at the end of the age is no longer adequate. General Christian work. And then he asked a series of questions. What are we doing to close this dispensation? What are we doing to bring in the next age? This is a special time, so there is the need of special Christians to do a special work. And so when I say special Christians to do a special work, we may automatically disqualify ourselves. But remember, when we talk about special Christians doing a special work, when we talk about overcomers, think of the mother with three children in a group of people. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who is dependent on the body of Christ. She's dependent on the members of the body. Can't make it without the other members, but functions according to her measure and according to her portion. Okay. Um, and then I'll just make, make uh, relate this other comment. Of all the dispensational moves, the man-child, which we see in Revelation chapter 12, is the greatest 
because it removes man's power and the devil's power and brings in the kingdom. We live in the most privileged time. We can do the most for God. Light will show us the way, but strength and power will enable us to walk the road. A great price must be paid in order to be used now. But remember, this happens in a corporate context. Okay, so now we're just going to touch a little bit. Uh, Trevor already touched on this quite a bit, actually. When we consider um, bearing fruit, uh, we may be really focused on results and we may not pay attention to our source. But we need to realize that actually source determines outcome. If the source is the Lord, uh, the outcome will be something that the Lord can bless. If the source is not the Lord, we may still have great results, but it will not be something that the Lord can bless. And this is also where uh, the question of motive comes in. You know, we may actually be very successful, but is our motive, is our heart pure? Okay. Um, and then I think, uh, Trevor, did you want to say anything more about making people what we are? Realizing that we can only make people what we are before we go on. Sure. I can jump in and say a little bit about that. Okay. So we already, we already stated that you reproduce what you are. Okay, this is very, this is very important. Um, I've been serving for a little while now, and I know exactly who that person has been hanging out with. So how do I know that? You know, wait, what? You know who's been hanging out with what? <laughs> yeah, basically, I'm, I'm hanging out with a new person, right? Oh, and they, yeah. they've been, they've been like, you know, they've been around for a little bit and then all of it, they start talking and I know exactly who they've been hanging out with. Why do you think that is? Um, there's that thing that says like, you're the, like a conglomerate of like the top five people you spend your, the most time with. So you're kind of like a mixture of all of them. So depending on who you spend your time with, that's ultimately what will come out of you. Thank you for adding to this cassette. Yes. Um, okay. So, so cassette, like that's the that's the thing is I always I always tell students that that I'm spending time with. Please, for my sake, do not just spend time with me. Please. Okay. I I personally was shepherded by tons of different people. Okay, and so. Yeah, there's like, I might gravitate a certain way dispositionally. Okay. But when, when I start, when I start speaking, I don't think people uh, say, oh, you know what? You are so-and-so's fruit per se, so-and-so's because it's this, it's this corporate idea. Okay. I need to bring other people in or else my, my fruit per se will grow very lopsided. Okay, they'll grow very lopsided, and and everyone everyone will know. Okay, you've just been hanging out with Trevor, and I don't want anybody to ever say that. Okay, and so this is this is something that's really important to me. And also, listen, there's a lot of things there's a lot of things cassette that I cannot do. Okay, there's a lot of them. Okay, 
And there's a lot of things that other brothers that I know and other sisters that I know, they're way better at it than I am. And so for me, if we're a team, okay, if we're a team, I need to, I need to hand those people off and I need to suggest, Hey, you know what? Like maybe, maybe like this whole idea of praying the word, uh, it doesn't seem like I'm really helping you that much because you keep asking me about it. So why don't, why don't you go over to this, to this brother or this saint? And they're so, they're really good at it. You know what I'm saying? Cause that, and, and this way, this way we're all, we're all uh, raising the child together. Okay, in a sense, if you want to use that terminology. So this is just something that I feel is really important. A lot of times, uh, I like to call it a mama bear mentality. A lot of times, you'll you'll meet saints who who get like really protective, like don't touch my fruit and all this stuff. I said, I just want you to know that if you and I were ever in the same locality, you can hang out with my fruit as much as you want. You know what I'm saying? Because I know I know that's the healthiest thing for them. Okay, that's that's all I got on that point, bro. You want to hit Ephesians or Phil? Do you, you know, we're not calling Phil out, but if Phil wants to jump in, no, I, I'm 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 good. Okay, okay. I I, agree. I like uh, it's really good to share the burden of caring for people with others because for all those reasons you do not want to produce a reflection of yourself. It's bad enough to have one, right? We want, uh, yep. we want, we want the people that we labor on to benefit from <clears throat> the Christ that's in many people. And this really deals with like, sometimes there's this really kind of warped thought of like, this person is mine. It's strange. I don't know if you've ever come across that, but like, you know, I met this person, I've invested time in them and I, it's, it's odd. It's like, how, how no, that person is God's. He, he, he or she was redeemed by God and that person is the bodies. And the more fingerprints left on that person by the body of Christ, the better. You do not want to be the sole or even like the primary caregiver for people. I mean, if you really see the function of all the members, this is crystal clear. Like the sooner that we can um, enlarge the circle of caregivers for a person we're trying to shepherd, the better off everyone will be. We'll be better off because we won't be able to boast in that person if we were thinking that way, which you should not. And then the person will be better off too because they'll have access to the Christ it's in all the different members and that kind of variety is good. Sometimes you just don't click with people and you never will just for dispositional reasons or personality reasons. And you might think they're not open, but maybe they're just not open to you. And this can happen a lot. There's nothing shameful about it, but that's why we need to trust in the body. There may be people who really uh, can do better. Anyways, that's all I'll add. It really does take a village to raise a child. You know, honestly, there, there's yeah, another. You just aspect. have gems today. It's just yeah. She just she's just throwing out little darts, isn't she? Another yeah. another thing along right. this line is, um, uh, it, you know, in the physical realm, I don't I don't get my children didn't get to pick me. Okay, like unfortunately for them, they just got me. 
And, but in the, in this spiritual sense, you know, when we start laboring on somebody, you might be in the initial contact for somebody. And if you genuinely care about that person, you just want them to go on. And I don't care if somebody else, if, if Nathaniel and I were in the same locality, I don't care if, if that person ends up gravitating towards Nathaniel and sticks to Nathaniel and then goes to Nathaniel's home and not mine, because I just, I just hope that that person goes on. So there's this, there's a phase or a phrase that we should use. And it's basically that the fruit picks their parents. Okay. And that might change over time. You know, a lot of times I've been laboring on somebody and they like, just like a normal kid growing up, they eventually rebel against me. And I think that's totally, it's a natural process. That's very good. And they rebel against me and then they go over to Nathaniel and, and they might not even like me for a period of time. That's fine. But, you know, they'll come back. And so all these things, you know, the, the main point is we just want them to go on. Anyway. That's right. Actually, this leads really well into, um, it, can we go to Ephesians 4.12? And uh, maybe, uh, let's see, Will, could you read that for us? I can. Uh, Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians 4.11 and 12. Amen, I can read it. Ephesians 4.11 and 12. Thanks. And he himself gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as shepherds and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, very good. Thank you. So notice, so it says he himself gave some, and then it lists out, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, Will, um, does it say... In verse 12, it starts out, what, it, what were these ones given for? In for the perfecting 12. of the saint. Okay, so, they were, so he gave them, right, he gave them all these ones, right? He gave the body of Christ all these gifted ones for what? To perfect the saints. So sometimes we can have this thought that people who are gifted, you know, you're an apostle, you go out and you are spreading the gospel and establishing churches and defining the truth or you're a prophet speaking forth the Lord or an evangelist preaching the gospel or, you know, really gifted as a shepherd or as a teacher, that that is what you do. You just do that. But actually the function of these gifts is to make others what they are. That's actually their function. They reproduce what they are. In fact, if they don't do that, they're not being faithful to their gift. So what apostles do is they produce other apostles. Prophets, they reproduce other prophets. Same with evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. It's actually a lot easier. Let's say I'm an evangelist. It's a lot easier for me to go out and just preach the gospel then it is to spend time with somebody and just I spend time with them and I and I and I I show them and I teach them and I train them until they can preach the gospel the way that I do. It's much more difficult. But that's actually the function of the gifts is to actually make 
the saints, to perfect the saints to be what they are. Um, so at this stage, we have a little treat for you. Um, there's a brother. His name uh, is Andrew Yu. And he uh, went to be with the Lord um, late last year. Anyway, back in 2013, he gave a message. And we've uh, taken a clip out of that. And uh, we wanted to show it to you because we felt it just perfectly illustrates this point. So he'll be speaking uh, from uh, the account of the Good Samaritan and then also Matthew 25. And we may pause the video at certain points, but um, okay, let's get that started. Okay, here we go. Okay, can you all see that? Yes, we can see it. Okay, sweet. All right, let's hope. Can you hear this? Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. Yes. Uh, you heard of the Good Samaritan. I'm telling you today that there is more than one Good Samaritan. The first Good Samaritan, he came, placed him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. That Greek word is epimelethe. I'm not a Greek expert. But the next verse is, and on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. In other words, what I did yesterday, you do the same thing today. Same Greek word. Then, you tell that green innkeeper who does who knows nothing about being a good Samaritan who knows nothing about shepherding people that if you do that and when I come back I'll pay you back whatever you spent I will pay you back when I return by doing that he reproduces himself if he does not reproduce himself, another one that got beaten up by the robber, he has to come again next day. He has to come again next day. And he has to come again for the next 2,000 years, all the time. But by producing somebody like him, he reproduces the Good Samaritan. Matthew 25. First the virgins, then the slave. Virgins, life. Slaves, function. Virgins, all, the, all your life. Slaves, immediately. In other words, it takes whole life, to grow in life, to mature in life. But you need to realize the function right away. It delivered to each according to his ability. 
That means, footnote, constituted of God's creation and our learning. In other words, to learn to perfect people is not just a natural, God-given ability. It's something that you learn. If you have not learned to perfect others, the, or put it this way, the more you learn, the more will be given to you. Then immediately he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained another five. It's very interesting that in that parable, the Lord never mentioned about anybody that lost their gifts. So, uh, the unfaithful ones, he didn't lose his function. He was being rebuked, not because he didn't function. He was being rebuked because he only functioned and didn't get other people to function. He didn't produce somebody else to function like his function. That in itself, he get rebuked. He didn't lose his one talent. He kept his one talent. So when the Lord comes, he said, Oh, I continue to serve. I didn't lose my service. I didn't lose my function. For that, you get rebuked. Because you didn't reproduce yourself. He who had received the five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Behold, I have gained another five talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. We're all going to face the Lord, and uh, it's going to be measured by our life and by our function. And when the Lord evaluates us, he's not eva evaluating us according to how much we have retained, but how much we have produced or reproduced. Okay, so what can we learn from this parable? Perfecting others is a matter, number one, learning. Nobody get it by birth. Number two, immediacy. You start doing it right the minute you get on the campus. Those of you who are students here, don't wait until you get to the full-time training. You solve more, start perfecting a freshman. Because in two years' time, you're going to be gone. And you better get somebody to take your place. Immediately, that's what the parable says. Immediately, he took it.
And number three, he is not being rewarded with the word you gifted. He's being rewarded by the word you're faithful. I tell you, to perfect somebody takes real faithfulness. And the mother trying to perfect the child to walk. You start walking, stumble again. Start walking, stumble again. And it takes months of faithfulness before you can get that function realized. Number four takes time. The Lord gave the mark not one year after he got the gift, but when he comes back. In other words, the whole lifetime is the time it takes to perfect somebody. And number five, a measure of being approved by the Lord is measured by how much we can perfect others. Our being able to produce somebody like ourselves. Two talents produce two talents. Five talents produce five talents. If I'm right, the Greek says the five talent, meaning a person of a unit of five talent. Amen. Then, uh, just a little summary of what I just talked about. Uh, summarize it by these seven things. Our emphasis of our work is not on what we do, but on whom. Not the what, but the whom we have perfected. So if you say, uh, I serve and I did so many things, a hundred things, versus I perfect one person, then the whom is more important than the what. Two, not on getting things done, but on getting people involved. Get the 3,000 people involved. Not just on getting the campus table set up, but get other people to be setting up table. Not on getting the gospel meeting done, but on getting other people to be involved in that gospel meeting. Not on having a guitar player and play the guitar yourself, but on getting other people to play the guitar. Not on maintaining what we have, but on gaining more to do what we do. I have a campus meeting. Five people maintain that. No. It's gaining more to do so that he can have another campus meeting. 
Not on working ourselves, but on perfecting others to work. Not on our success in the work, but on others' success. It's, it's not just my campus is successful. It's I get somebody else, and all the accolades go to him. Not doing a direct work, but doing an indirect work. Not merely working on men, but working through men. So, yeah, sorry, it was a little long, but I think we, um, anyway, just appreciated a lot of the points there. And um, I'll just highlight a few things, and the brothers may have something else, but I don't know about you. I never saw that the Good Samaritan reproduced himself in the innkeeper. I was really, I was really impressed by that. And um, otherwise, because, you know, that's not the only person who's going to be beat left 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 beaten down on the side of the road so the lord he actually reproduced himself in the innkeeper and uh, i also appreciated that growth is lifelong but function is immediate so but sometimes i feel i think we can confuse the two and so well somebody's not that much grown in life so maybe their function we shouldn't yet bring them into function but we have to realize actually we're we along with those we're caring for are going to be growing in life our whole life but we can bring people into function straight away um and i also appreciated that um you know the characteristic of the one talented person is not that he didn't serve i always thought the one talented person was just lazy but Actually, the one talented person does serve. The one talented one does serve, but he maintains. He doesn't reproduce. So that's the characteristic. If we have this view when we're caring for people, <clears throat> it's not just to, um, you know, gain them and turn them into somebody who goes to, attends church meetings, but we want to make them who we are. We want to reproduce so that and that's what it means to do an indirect work. It means eventually, you know, I'm, there are so many things I'm not doing anymore because there are so many others who have been perfected to do those things. But I have a hand in it because I helped to perfect those ones. Okay. And then, um, I don't know, brothers, do you have anything to add before we move on? So um, I think that's good. Well, I think now we're going to get to uh, to the section. I don't know what else to call it, but we we yeah uh, we spent a lot of time on this one, um, and uh, I think I'll I'll turn it over to Trevor. But we kind of felt like we needed to set to establish this as a base before we we get into now. Um, some of the concepts we may have when it comes to bearing fruit and then learning how to make friends. Okay, so this is this is really interesting because um, 
Oh man, I got so much feeling about this. The reason why we're doing multiple sessions on this is one, we didn't want to make you sit there for three hours like we normally do. And, and two, um, we wanted to break this up and maybe there's a better way of breaking this up. I don't know. But what we came up with is that there's actually three uh, areas of uh, essentially bearing fruit. And the first area is what we're going over today. Maybe we should have said this at the beginning, we repent. Um, but basically the first area is essentially just an, the initial meeting of a person. Um, it, is, it is the contact. It is setting up um, a situation where you can then share with them something about the Lord. And I think a lot of a lot of people, including myself, uh, are still learning how to do this first part. And so that's that's essentially what we what we initially wanted to hit on. Then then the next session will be the transitioning from a a friendship with someone into how to present the truth, how to ask certain questions, how to open the person up, how to how to ask the right question at the right time okay that's that's a much more detailed kind of thing the next session and then the third session i tell nathaniel this all the time but you know and anybody that i'm taking care of if you look at my entire care from a hundred percent um i would say 20 to 30 percent of my care for that person is getting into the truth, getting into the word, getting into the ministry. And 70% is helping them through issues that they have. Okay. And so the third, the third section is what do you do when the person starts complaining about certain things? They see aspects of the truth, but then they, but then they have problems with, you know, the way you pray, the way you say amen the way you do this, the way you do that, what are you going to say? Okay. So this is, this is the third aspect that we kind of felt was shepherding the person um, in, in, into this whole realm that we're, we're trying to bring the Lord back. What I want to hit on right now is um, one of my favorite sets of verses in the entire Bible when it has to do with bearing fruit. And that is, I've got, to, I've got to share my thing again. I forgot. Um, that is this section right here. Okay. Cassette, can you, uh, can you read for me? Um, this is Haggai 1, verses 2 through 8. You can start with verse 2. So can you just read that for us really quick? Sure. Um, Thus says Jehovah of hosts saying, this people says the time has not come, the time for the house of Jehovah to be built. Then the word of Jehovah came through Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled up houses while this house lies waste? Now therefore thus says Jehovah of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown so much, but you bring in little. You eat, but there is no satisfaction. You drink, but there is no being filled with drink. You dress yourselves, but there is no warmth in doing so. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. 
Thus says Jehovah of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it and will be glorified, says Jehovah. Okay. I love this. We have to consider our ways. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Saints, we're highly aware of the uh, prayer, the spirit, and the word. Okay. Um, and again, we, what Nathaniel said at the beginning is we're assuming that you're already doing that. Okay. But if I'm, if I'm doing, if I'm doing those things, um, and I'm not getting results. I I shouldn't I shouldn't sit there and and say I'm I maybe I'm not praying enough. Okay, I have to I have to get practical, and and the flip side of this the flip side of this is, um, to say if we do prayer the Spirit and the Word does that mean that we get to act any way we want? No, so so the what what you do actually does matter. It does matter, and so that's what we're kind of zeroing in on. Okay, again, we're assuming that you're already praying for the person, you're in the Word, and the Spirit is involved. Okay, but our person matters, and so and how we present ourselves matters. So there's there's a lot of different things. I'm I'm not going to pray a lot and just run up to someone on the street and and yell in their face, you know, you know, call on the Lord. I, it, it's not going to work, okay. And so what we do matters is the point. So we need to consider our ways all the time, and and we also always need to have an endeavoring spirit to figure out even better ways to do something. Um, okay. So this is this is uh, an interesting part because uh, if we are if we ourselves are unsatisfied with with how we bear fruit or the results of our labor, then we need to consider our ways. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to hit this little section, and we didn't know what to call it. We just called it concepts. Okay. And there's three main concepts that we find that we run into a lot when speaking uh, with saints and even concepts that we had ourselves. Okay. So this is a, this is a really cool, um, this is a really cool story that we're going to share with you guys. And it's, it's a story of, about Abraham Wolg. And he was this Jewish Hungarian, uh, um, what, mathematician? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up this thing, and I want you to said I want you to read this, and the the point the point um, is Trevor. The, sorry, could I get someone else to read? For sure, it? dude. Who? Okay, I have a volunteer. Okay, so as soon as you pull it up. Um, oh, okay. It's a brother, brother from the UK. So I thought since it's about the Battle of Britain, it know, is about the Battle of Britain. Read it for us. I think I'd much rather them read yeah. it too. <laughs> yes. Hey, Aiden, you there? Yeah. Great. Does he? Have, is, are we just getting voice, or where? Where is he? Can you turn on? Your oh, do you want the? Okay. I think his picture is pretty cool too. There we go. <laughs> There we are. Aiden, Aiden, we are. bro, what's going on, man? 
I'm so yeah. happy you're hey, joining us. <laughs> hey, bro, do you see? Do you see? And can you read what's on the screen? Are, are you able to read it? I know it's a, maybe a little small. Hopefully not. Um, yeah, I can. I can read it. Yeah. Okay, bro. I need you to read this story in the coolest accent. Just speak. Just speak the way you normally do. I'm sure it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. During the Second World War. The Allied forces were losing a number of their aircraft to German anti-aircraft fire. Looking for a solution, they decided to reinforce the aircraft with armor to withstand the anti-aircraft guns and ensure a greater survival rate. The question posed was how to identify where to armor the planes. An analysis was needed, so for every plane that returned from missions, a count of every bullet hole located across the aircraft was completed. One by one, each returning aircraft was checked by counting all the bullet holes as well as their location, where the most bullet holes occurred. That would be a sign of where the anti-aircraft guns were firing. The teams charted each bullet hole on the plane and mapped them. What was telling was the pattern of bullet holes and their distribution across the aircraft. Where there were clusters of bullet holes, the teams analyzing surmised that it was in these spots where the armor was needed. The team had their insight to act upon, except they didn't. It was Abraham Wald, a Jewish-Hungarian-born mathematician, who pointed out that only the planes that returned were included in the data. What about the planes that didn't make it? What damage was inflicted on them? As Wald explained, if we see a large cluster of bullets on the wings of planes that returned, then it means that the bullets in the wings are not the cause of losing planes. Where the attention should be paid is on the areas which tend not to have bullet holes, such as the cockpit or engines. Simply put, planes who have bullet holes in those missing locations are the ones that don't come back. That's why there are no bullet holes in the, those areas of planes that do make it back. They were lucky, not hit, and survived. This was the genesis of what we now call survival bias, survivor bias, where we essentially focus on the things that make it past a selection process and ignoring others that don't. Thank you, Aiden. Amen. I I absolutely love this story. Okay, so let me let me give you an example. Um, we we uh, set up a table, okay, and we're we're passing out Bibles, or we're asking people to to sign up for a Bible study, and and five five or six people come up, and they they talk to us okay cassette they're they're talking to us and and then we we say you know if we actually 
uh, look at how many people were walking by the table, which was hundreds of thousands. Okay, let's just say, I don't know how busy it was. Um, why didn't all the rest of them come up to the table? Okay, it could be that they were uninterested. And that's something that, that we really don't know. But it could also be that we, they observed a certain thing about us that they didn't want to. Okay, it's a, it's a logical fallacy to say that it worked because those five or six people came up to the table, okay? You need to consider your ways. It's the same with presenting the truth, okay? Or it's the same with, I'm gonna invite this person to a meeting and they actually came into the church life. Okay, it might've worked on one person, but it's, again, a logical fallacy to then jump to the conclusion that that is how you should do it. Okay. So what about all the people that have been taken to a meeting and are terrified and run away? Okay. So do you, do you get the point? You said do you get the point. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. So do you like this story? I dig this story a lot. For sure. Yeah. I never even considered like until, yeah, wow. <laughs> okay, Survival. so Phil brought this story up when we were fellowshipping. So maybe Phil can add a little bit to what is known as survivorship bias if I didn't fill in all the blanks. <clears throat> sure. Um, I mean, the, just knowing about survivor survivor bias which is what it's called in this article or survivorship bias it's it's basically like a logical fallacy that it's good to be aware of because you might be trying to analyze like cause and effect or you know the what happens if we do this or not do this it's very easy it's almost inevitable for people to bring up anecdotal cases where, you know, we did do this and it, it worked. And the logical fallacy is maybe that worked for those three, but we're unable to survey the, the 100 or the 97 that it didn't work for because they're not here. And just knowing about this can kind of help to not trust in those kinds of anecdotal experiences, you know, like, oh, my first meeting in the church was uh, filled with uh, loud calling on the Lord. And they talked about, uh, I'm trying to think of something kind of heavy. Yeah. They talked about, you know, the, the Catholic church being Babylon and, and uh, I just, just, I somehow was caught, you know, and it's like, that's that I don't, I'm not diminishing the truth of that experience for you, but there may have been a whole bunch of other people there who ran away from that meeting because it just, it didn't accommodate where they were. Um, like, I, I mean, I have many, like there are, I know one brother, I saw this happen. So it's kind of fresh. It's like, you know, he's like, the minute I came to my first church meeting, I felt at home. And I just knew I was home, you know? And so he had this habit of when he saw new people, he would tell them, welcome home. And, you know, welcome home. And uh, 
it was really creepy actually. Like, I don't know you, I don't know these people. I don't feel like I'm at home and you're welcoming me home. And, you know, it was very off-putting, but he, to him, it was like, this is what caught me. Therefore, uh, it's good for everybody. And it's not necessarily the case. So the whole point of the logical fallacy or, or, you know, this story is like, we shouldn't trust too much in certain experiences that we may have had or we may have observed in others as being like having a causal link to people being gained. That link is not necessarily there. They, they could be here in spite of that. And, um, you know, so this, I think this whole story is like, maybe don't put so much weight on, on our experiences because we're not able to survey those who, who aren't here to say about how it did not work for them, you know, to, to capture them or to open them up. They're not here to, to tell their story. So is that good enough, Trevor? Just, it's basically uh, like put a question mark on a, a lot of your conclusions. You gotta put a question mark on it. Don't be so sure because you're only hearing half of the story. That's, that's the whole point. Yeah, and I think that this is also another point that Nathaniel and I were talking about, and this has to do with our disposition. Maybe Nathaniel can, can jump in on this part, but I've noticed that a lot of, a lot of people, they, they either shepherd someone or they take care of someone the way that they were taken care of, or they take care of someone the way that they dispositionally are. And they don't consider, uh, is this necessarily what the person needs? So for instance, it, I, I personally, obviously I'm on the dive sessions. I personally like the truth, okay? But not, not everybody enjoys the truth as much as I do. And so sometimes there, there's actually uh, currently a, a sister that comes over and to have dinner with my wife and I. Currently, she comes over. She comes over a lot, and we never get into any truth. We just we're just with her, because a lot of people come. A lot of people come in initially, just because they they like the community aspect, and and they see um, they see something, they see a living, and it's not because I I said something, it's just the way we live, and it's attractive. And so there's other people like myself who came in for the truth. I mean, I could care less personally um, how you lived, but the truth is what captured me personally. And so, uh, you know, I, I could come over to your house and it could be a complete dump. And, you know, you have, you know, all this trash on the ground and all this stuff. But if you could sit down and, and, you know, tell me the truth from Genesis to Revelation, I was going to sit there all day. And so there, there's just different, there's different types of people. And it's really yeah. these kind of two, two areas. Now the danger is, let's say I like singing. And I literally, I just try to bring people in by singing because I like it. That's not going to be very effective. And so just because you like something doesn't mean that that's what you should immediately default to when you don't know what to do. Anyway, I don't know if Nathaniel wants to chime in here. There's this verse in John 15. Uh, it's John 15, 13. It says, 
no one has greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And that word life there is actually, um, in the Greek, it's the word for soul life. And so I, I really like this verse in the context of what we're speaking about, because um, it's always, uh, you know, one way that people always shepherded me as I was growing up is they would take me out to eat. And you might think that's like a universal way of caring for somebody. But I have learned over the years that that doesn't work. Some, you know, sometimes it just actually a lot of times it's a waste of time, you know, because that's not what that person needs. But I'm taking them out to eat because that's what I want. I want to go have something nice to eat and I'm just going to take this person with me. And so um, we, we, the thing is caring for people is not easy because it requires that we deny our disposition. And even it requires a lot of times we deny our own background and experiences because we are now dealing with somebody who has a very different background and has a very different um, set of needs. And so that means we need to lay down our soul life mm. for them. And so uh, that's not something that um, uh, we can just, that we can just do in ourselves. Okay. That requires uh, us to allow the Lord to work his humanity into us. Amen. So um I don't know if you all have anything else, brothers, or should we go on to the ultimate paradox? Can I share I'll something? I'll just mention this one verse. That oh, no, which go is, sure. uh, no, go ahead. Um, I'm trying to remember where it is. Ephesians, it's in Ephesians 4, 20 something. But, it, you know, it talks about let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up. And then in that verse, I think it has the phrase according to the need. And, um, is that right? Uh, you uh, see it? Further right. down. Further down. Right yeah, now. yeah. Yeah. Uh, there it is. Uh, yeah, let, in other words, let what comes out of your mouth be good for building up according to the need. And I, that phrase, according to the need, really jives with what you're saying is like, you, you don't really you can't just assume everybody operates on the same spiritual wavelength as you. We all, you know, we have things that draw us. Um, the truth, singing, it's almost like, I don't know what book this was, but sometimes people today talk about like, what's your, <laughs> what's your love language, <laughs> you know? And, and I don't know even where that came from, but I know that the thought is like, people have different ways that they express affection and they have different things they respond to you know so like a love language might be some people give gifts and appreciate gifts others words of affirmation have you ever any of you heard about this anyway yeah. so it's like but the point is people have different um different things resonate with people and and that applies in the spiritual realm is like if someone is interested in answers you don't want to give them muffins you know it's like you want to invite them over and just cook or you know hang out like they want 
they want the code cracked that they've been struggling with in the Bible. And you have to, you know, we should try to recognize what resonates with them. And then others, it's like, they honestly are not that interested in the truth. They just need society. They need community. They're lonely and they need someone to hear them out and pray for them. And that's just as valid, right? But we wouldn't like do a deep dive with them. We would, we need to recognize that and pray with them and for them and, you know, care for them in time, all these things coalesce, you know, like the, as we spend time in the body, eventually the truth lovers, they learn how to loosen up and enjoy the Lord, maybe loosen up, stuff, but you know, they learn how to like touch the Lord with their heart, not just with their mind. Right. And in time, the people who just need friends and society and to be heard, they, you have to care about the truth because it holds you. So in time, it all gets balanced out. But initially when we meet people, it is good to recognize there's a certain need here and you can't always figure out what it is, but you should recognize that it's not the same for everybody, right? And if you can identify their need and minister something according to that need, that's, that's real care. So that's all I want to add. I love that verse. It's really good. Cosette, did you have anything before we move on? Oh, just a quick experience. Yeah. Um, so kind of like Trevor, I was really enamored by the church life because of the ministry, because of the truth. Um, I grew up in like secular Christianity and was went to a lot of Bible studies all the time, but they just didn't like satisfy that like intellectual need that I had. They, it was always just like, Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for your sins. Okay. But like, there has to be something more. And so when, you know, I started going to these Bible studies and we started reading the life studies with the chapter of the Bible that they brought out so much truth. And I was like, this is amazing. And so then now I find myself whenever I go out on the gospel, I mean, up until this point, I'm just reflecting every time or every time I find myself talking um, about the Lord with one of my friends or someone I meet, I immediately go for the truth because I'm like, that's what drew me in. And so if they hear this truth, they're going to want to join. They're going to want to go where I go. They're going to, or they're going to want to, you know, go to a meeting or go to a Bible study. Once they hear these, like these golden nuggets that I have, but the reality is they might have have a different love language and so I was even thinking of the same exact thing um, brother Philip about the love languages thing just because they don't respond to the same type of like affection doesn't mean that they don't like to receive affection they just it's different so like maybe they like quality time but you're like you like words of affirmation so it doesn't mean that like they don't want to they they don't like to receive love or whatever it's just their their language is different and so having this in mind when even when we're going out on the gospel or when we have this opportunity to talk to the Lord or talk to our friends about the Lord. It's like, don't be so quick to jump into the truth. My concept was if they don't receive the truth, it's because they're not ready for it yet. Or because, you know, it's like the Lord. It's not the their dust time off yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So this is just a really good point. I appreciate it. That's good. Um, well, actually that brings us to the ultimate paradox, it is which is that yeah. it is. Because actually, the more divine we become, the more human we become. So actually, the more we grow in the divine life, what, what happens is actually we become more and more human, more and more normal, more and more approachable. We're able to relate to people so much more. And um, I kind of realized this in an interesting way not too long ago. Um, 
you know, there's this phrase, and some of us may have heard it before. It's uh, the divine and mystical realm. Okay, that sounds kind of mysterious. And um, I always kind of assumed in the back of my mind that when I heard the word mystical, it was sort of a synonym for the word divine, or it was kind of mysterious, it just meant mysterious. I don't know about you all. I don't know, Cosette, when you hear the word divine and mystical. Mysterious, you, yeah. Mysterious, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the brother who coined that phrase, divine and mystical realm, it's important to understand what he was thinking, because that's not what he was thinking when he used the word mystical. And um, so actually, mystical implies humanity, but it's not any kind of humanity. It's a humanity that uh, has its source in the divine life. It's a humanity that has been brought into resurrection. So when we say the divine and mystical realm, actually, it's like saying the divine and human realm. But this humanity is not a natural humanity. So I'll just read you this short quote. The, this is talking about the Lord Jesus. They observed him. He was a Jew who no doubt bore a Jewish countenance. He had Jewish blood and Jewish flesh with the human life and nature. But he lived by another life in his human life. That other life is the divine life. Because he lived the divine life in his human life, his human life became mystical, okay? So mystical means the divine life being lived out in a human life. Out from his human life came something divine. So he had these aromatic human virtues, but those aromatic human virtues all the time were being strengthened and enriched by his divine attributes. So when we think, so that's the thing, when we're with people, we might be under the impression that we need to be spiritual, but actually we have to learn when we're with people just to be divinely human. That means we're very normal, but we're just in touch with the Lord. We're just, we, anyway, sometimes we just have to learn how to be normal um, and, and not apply any kind of spiritual expectation to the ones that we're caring for. So anyway, this, that was a big help to me. Uh, I don't know. Do y'all have anything else before we move on to friends? Okay. It looks like we're these are, on friends. these are basically, these are concepts, right. That we're, that we're touching a lot of times, uh, you know, I talk to people and what they want is they want to immediately go spiritual. And that's, that's the thing that we're talking about here is uh, there actually shouldn't be a separation of the two. It should actually be incredibly normal to, to be both at the same time. Otherwise you're just presenting a third thing and I don't really know what it is. It's not human and it's not divine. It's a third thing. Anyway, yeah, maybe we can hit the next concept. And this is the concept of friends. Um, okay, this one, this one's really, cassette. Okay, 
people people always used to i'm going to show you a verse because because this is cool um can you read verse seven sure did you second chronicles 27 sorry go ahead you good did you not O our god dispossess the inhabitants of this land before your people israel and give it forever to the seed of abraham your friend okay so this is interesting you know we're highly aware and i'm sure we've all heard this um we we have companions uh, and friends can be kind of put in a in a context of being negative having friends i find this a little funny because um friends is everywhere in the bible like everywhere and so uh you know phil's going to elaborate on this a little bit more as far as kind of being kind of being balanced and when we when we read this type of stuff but what's really interesting um what's what's i don't know who who just underlined that that's very okay so What's, what's really interesting is this verse cassette actually says, um, Abraham, your friend. Okay. So I was always like kind of considering, like, did God actually refer to him as a friend? Like, it, it's kind of funny because it's like, I can be like, cassette, you're, you're Nathaniel's friend, but Nathaniel might not feel that way, you know? <laughs> And so, so I always like, like every time you read it, you know, James, the James also says the same thing in James 2.23. He says, you know, that Abraham was a friend of God. And um, basically what's, what's quite interesting is uh, you just killed it. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. So you back or back okay we're back so what's what's quite interesting is if we go to isaiah 41 and this this kind of just made me happy um isaiah 41 8 can you read that one i said sure but you israel my servant jacob whom i have chosen the seed of abraham my friend Okay, so this is awesome because God calls him his friend. Okay, yeah. so now there's a confirmation that God says Abraham is my friend. Okay, so there is, I, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of verses to go to each one would take too much time. In John 11, 11, the Lord refers to Lazarus as our friend Lazarus. You already have the verse that Nathaniel brought up earlier in John 15, 13 through 16. And it talks about laying down his life for his friend is the greatest love. Okay. That's in the context of bearing fruit. John 15 is about bearing fruit. And in that same chapter, it's talking about having friends. Okay. Then you have Matthew eleven nineteen, which is a, a very famous one. The son of man um, came eating and drinking. And they said, behold. Uh, the gluttonous man and the drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her works, okay? So this is, we know that he used to recline at tables with sinners. They were chilling. He wasn't teaching them at tables, okay? Mm. They were reclining at table. 
they were very comfortable being around him. You know, I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's very like, they seem so spiritual. I'm sure if you sat down with like, you know, the, the high priest or something, you know, back in the day, you would have been like really nervous, you know, cause it's like, oh my gosh, it's the high priest, you know, you wouldn't have been reclining at table, but the Lord is the true high priest. And he, he, when he came to the earth, he came as the son of man and he was friends with tax collectors and sinners. Okay. And then it goes on and there's other, there's other verses, Acts 19, 31. And then also in, in third John 14, Acts 19.31 shows that Paul had friends. 3 John 14, but I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. This is a, this is a great FaceTime verse. You know, send this to your friend if you want to go on FaceTime with them. Uh, I hope that we would speak face to face soon. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Okay. The apostles had friends. Okay. They had, they had all these friends. Okay. I don't have anything else to say. You need to make friends. And if you don't know how to make friends, you have to learn. You have to learn. You can go to the supermarket and make a friend. So at this point, you know, through the fellowship with Phil, I really enjoyed pretty much, well, I always enjoy everything Phil says. So if Phil can just share some of like his thoughts on this whole aspect of friends, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, with anything in the word or, or the ministry, um, it's possible to, to, to apply things in kind of an extreme way. Uh, or, or, or a premature way that can, that this is not organic, okay? So uh, the, the one reason, uh, let me just present the, let me just ground this by saying this. In Leviticus 2, there's a type of the meal offering. And one of the things that's not permitted in the meal offering, aside from leaven, is honey. And because the honey ferments, and that meal offering is a type of Christ and the church and uh, the application of that type. One of, one of the applications is that uh, the honey represents natural affection. And so when we, um, when our relationships with one another in the church are characterized by natural affection, um, that is not something that can remain in, in the church. It's something that's not acceptable to God. Um, our relationships need to be um, in and, and through Christ. Okay, that's the type. And I think that all of our relationships are, they're all developing, right? And our relationships develop in that direction. In other words, I mean, here's an example is like, I, maybe I'm a young person and I grew up in the, in a, the local church somewhere. And I had I had buddies, you know, the other brothers, the other, not really brothers, but just my friends, right, that I grew up with. And then we, we mature. We, we start to care about God and the church and maybe our eyes get opened a little bit. And, and now we have this additional component of our relatedness, which is like we're, we want to bring the Lord back and build up the church. But 
we have a long history of just joking around and pranking and you know everything it was like a thousand percent natural so 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 that's so that relationship now has to develop it basically has to be brought out of natural affection into a proper place where we we don't relate to each other naturally we don't have favorites um, you know, a, a good test of that is like, if you can pray, like there's, there may be people in the church, but it's very hard to pray with them. Okay. That, that's a big warning sign that maybe, maybe it's just natural. Okay. So I just want to put that out there. Like when we talk about friendships, um, I, we're not condoning natural affection or saying, you know, maybe it's okay, but, you know, to misapply the word about natural affection and say, you know, we should I don't have any friends in the church and you, you mean that to be um, something extreme. Like that's, that's a misapplication. I feel especially when it comes to um, taking care of new people. I mean, how in the world can we put that kind of standard on um, a new person and say, um, I'm sorry, there's no friendships allowed. <laughs> I mean, like, who's going to stay more than like five seconds? Because everyone <laughs> is seeking, everyone's seeking friendship. They're seeking society. They're seeking belonging. And, uh, you know, they don't know what natural affection is and they don't care and they shouldn't. They're just not there yet. So I'm just saying this as a base. Like, I, I don't want to be perceived as someone saying, you know, let's just, it's okay to be buddy, buddy. And, it's not really what we're saying, but the concept of, of friend as a, as a companion, as a, a close, intimate, like that's, that's, that's in the Bible. And in, and in the ministry, it talks about gospel friends. So you got to avoid going to some kind of extreme, right? And so the verses are good that Trevor brought out about friendship. Um, so where do I go now, Trevor? I mean, it's kind learning of how to talk to people. How to talk to people? Okay, so, <laughs> so this is what I've learned, I think. And again, you know, everything when we talk about bearing fruit and how to do that, we're all still learning, and we're making all kinds of mistakes. And when we make mistakes, we just get better, and we repent. And we, we try to level up in how we relate to people because we, we want to learn. We want to learn how to be Jesus, Jesusly human, and how to live the Lord out. Okay, so when it comes to, um, I'm just going to use this, this word friends because that's, that's, that's how people, the people that we're trying to meet use it. How, um, one thing that we need to learn how to do, if you're serious about fruit bearing, is how to make friends. And there's a lot to learn. I mean, th there's just a lot to learn. Like, how do we, how do you, sometimes I, I, I say this to myself, like, if you can't make friends, you cannot bear fruit. You just can't. Because being able to bear fruit 
means that you have to be able to maybe even initiate or cultivate or maintain a kind of relationship with somebody that um, becomes a kind of a kind of bridge for reality to come across. So let's come at it this way. Um, like I, I served uh, on a college campus for a long time, like over a decade. And I learned a lot about how to interact with college students, I think. You know, I probably still don't know that much. But anyways, like there's a certain kind of, there's a certain way that you can just interact with people that makes them kind of comfortable. And, and I, I think I learned a lot, okay? And then I had three kids and they started growing up and then they started playing sports. And so I would end up going to these soccer, you know, little league matches and stuff. And I'm a little bit introverted, you know, and I would bring my Kindle and I would just sit there and read it while they played or watch the, you know, but there were all these other parents there, like all these other people in their mid thirties with kids playing soccer and playing baseball. And my wife, my wife helps me a lot. She said, um, why don't you try to, <laughs> she was like, you know, it's really weird that you go there and just sit by yourself and read your book <laughs> instead of talking to all those people. And I was like, I don't, I just realized like my playbook for how to interact with college kids has no pages in it for how to interact with people who are like me. And I need to learn something. I, I have to learn how it's, it's like, that's just where I am in life. And so, you know, I had to learn to sit down and, and what it's not easy, you know, but it's like, you have to kind of it takes a lot of practice. And, um, you know, I learned like people in their thirties are pretty full. Like they actually, if they're Christians, they actually think they have a lot of things figured out. They're not as open. They're not as open at all to, you know, to learn something new, but their opening is actually through their kids. Like if you, they're very burdened for their kids to, to, to know the Lord. And anyways, I would just say, okay, number one, it's like um, the verses that Trevor read about considering your ways. We have to recognize that making friends with people in the world is it's, it's an acquired skill that takes a lot of practice and learning. And what I have done many times and the people who know me, they laugh when I do this because they know what I'm doing because it's not my personality is like when I go to the store or just out running errands, I try to practice, like how do I meet somebody? And I don't mean make a friend like they're gonna send me a birthday card next year. Not, I mean, I'm, you're not gonna work that out in, in an interaction, but like, I just wanna learn how to talk to people in a way that is not weird. And so, you know, you're at the store and you just say, <laughs> that's a lot of potatoes there what are you gonna make with those yeah you know or you just you just you make conversation oh hey man how can i tell if this is ripe or not uh do you have you know you just practice at the register like hey um you, you just practice like learn how to 
draw people out, how to make them smile, how to make them laugh. And um, so Tr Trevor. <laughs> I feel like that's very Southern culture. Like I know you're in Atlanta, I'm in Florida, like in Gainesville, it's very Southern culture to like just walk up to someone at the grocery store and be like, what are you making for dinner tonight? You know, but the, my hometown I grew up with is like more towards more Southern Florida and it's not as like <laughs> friendly, I should say, I don't know, conversationalist. That's so. true. And, and like, I know in Europe, it's like definitely not like if probably if you go talk to someone at the store, they're, they're like, what, who are you? And why are you <laughs> bothering me? And I yeah. understand that. I've, I've seen that meme of like, the Danish bus stop where there's like 20 feet between each person and you know and I'm 25% Swedish so I, I know a little bit about that but like still okay whether, no matter where you are we have to like there's something to be said for realizing there's a manner that we can bring to our interactions that puts people at ease okay and and we have to try to learn that. And then there's things we, yeah. that we do that, put pe that make people get tight and nervous. And we mm -hmm. have to learn what those are and not do those things. And if we don't pay attention to that, um, you're really ignoring a key part of being able to bear fruit. I, I wanna talk about cherishing and nourishing, Trevor, but uh, let me pause here and give you a chance to jump in. Okay. I'm okay. So one, one thing that I, this is the only analogy I have for this, honestly, is when I, when I go up to someone and I'm trying to befriend them, um, it's, it's the same thing as if, uh, you, okay. I'm just going to say it. It's the same thing as you courting someone. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the apostle Paul in second Corinthians 11 two, he says, I betrothed you to Christ. Okay. So Paul is going to people and, and he is going to them as the Lord representing the Lord. And, and his job was to betroth them, to engage them to Christ. So this is, this is the thing you don't take this analogy too far. Okay. All I'm saying is this cassette. I'm just going to ask you, you have no idea this question's coming. Okay, so I want your honest opinion. Let's say, let's say a guy comes up to you and he asks you, uh, hey, what are you doing Friday? Okay. And your response is, I'm busy. Okay, so go ahead, do it. Busy. You're busy on Friday. I'll be okay. at a home meeting, yeah. Okay. Okay, what about Saturday morning? You want me to say I'm busy? Just, just, just go along with it naturally. I'm go busy. Ahead. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, okay. What about Saturday afternoon? Still busy. Okay. I, how about the evening? Saturday, Saturday evening. Okay. Cassette. Basically, basically. You need to say, "Leave me alone, you creep." Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. What I what I have expressed is sheer desperation. Okay. I am desperate. And it is repulsive. And everybody, everybody, when you go, when you come up to somebody, okay, and you're desperate, you can do this through texting. You can sound really desperate. And the thing is, it's not wrong to be desperate, but you need to be desperate towards the Lord. Okay. You need to be desperate 
the moment you're thinking about asking that person again, five minutes later about the next opening in their schedule. Okay. That is, that is called smothering and no female likes that. Okay. It's, it's repulsive. Okay. So you got to play it cool. You said, just play it cool. Hey, you know, you, you can't do it Friday. Well, when, when is, when's a good time for you? You know, I'll, I'll get back to you. Okay. Yeah. You get back to me, whatever. Okay. I'm not, I'm not desperate because people can sense that from a mile away. They can sense that from a mile away. You know, the moment somebody walks up to you, there's a sense of desperation. I'm trying to sell you something at the door, you know, and it's like, you got to buy these books. You got to buy these knives and they're doing this at the door and it's just desperate. And I don't, I don't, Actually, if I agree to buy your knives and your books, it's out of pity, okay? Because I feel bad for you. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't want anybody to hang out with me because they feel bad for me. You know what I'm saying, Cassette? Yeah. So this is, this is a huge thing that I see a lot of the times is this smothering effect, just constantly texting. Well, when, when, when are you? And then, they, and then you wonder why the person walked away. It's, cause, it's because of that. Okay, yeah. it's the vibe you gave off. Okay. It's sort Please. of like, yeah. It's sort of like, you know, we, we may genuinely feel a sense of, of desperation because, especially if we're talking to somebody who isn't saved, we realize that their eternal destiny hangs in the balance. But at the same time, uh, we have to be wise in how we approach people. And so, you know, if you, if uh, uh, it's not wise to pass on the desperation to the ones where we're contacting, that desperation has to remain inside. Yeah. It doesn't mean we don't love them, but actually because you love them, because I love them, I deny myself. I deny all these feelings that I have. And I just open to the Lord and say, Lord, you just need to be the person here. Okay. And, and, and I have to admit, Lord, I, you know, yeah, I want to contact this person, you know, every five minutes because they, I want to get a yes from them because I want to develop a relationship with them. But the, and the end result ends up being that uh, they don't want to talk to me. So anyway, I think it's, 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 we're not talking about there being a problem with, with being desperate, but we can't pass that on to people. In a sense, you know, uh, I, and I think this applies, this applies everywhere, but I, I've noticed particularly here in, in, in the UK, and I think this applies throughout Europe. Um, you know, if, if you come on too strong straight away, a lot of times it just turns people off. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, because also there's a history here of religion and there's a history here, uh, you know, and, and people don't want things shoved down their throat. And so if you come, you come on strong, I, and I've seen it unfortunately happen where, you know, it's like someone came over to someone's house and, you know, it's just very pleasant, very nice. And then suddenly, boom, gospel, okay? You need to get saved. And the thing is, you know, British people are very polite. And yeah. so they won't, they won't say 
they won't have a, you know, they won't outwardly demonstrate any problem with that, but then you'll never see them again. Yeah. And so anyway, we just have to learn how to be, how to be wise in, in contacting people. Yeah. Bro, bro. Okay. This is now you're, you're just, you're just playing with my heartstrings. Okay. This is, this just gets me. So, okay. Another example of this is what Nathaniel just said, you know, you get somebody in your house. So let's say, let's say you've successfully gotten them to hang out cassette, you know, like, okay, now here's the moment I'm at Starbucks. We're, we're, we're here, you know, and then I immediately just start going over the ground of the church and, and all this stuff. And I should start shoving this, this truth down your throat. And I, I actually don't know anything about your family. I don't know anything about you. I don't know what you're studying. I don't know. Okay. That, that again is a desperation move. Just play it cool. You got to be smooth, you know, like I'm not desperate. And then through my questions that I'm asking you, eventually I'll see an opening where you'll say something that I can relate the truth to. And then I can segue in. And this is something that we just need to learn. You just segue into that thing. Okay. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've hit this point enough. Phil, what did you want to share about cherishing? Well, like, again, you know, we're talking about all these things and I guess you could walk away from this deep dive and, and have like a whole bunch of bullet points of this is what I should do. And this is what I shouldn't do. And that would be a big mistake. You know, what you really want to identify is the governing principles in, in caring for people. And so we had that verse about, you know, Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. And so these two terms were picked up by Brother Lee when he would talk about bearing fruit. And, it, and he would say in, the, in a, a number of places, we have to cherish people and we have to nourish people. And so if you want a kind of mental model that could help you, that's really helpful to know what these two words mean. So here's the thing, they're really simple. Cherishing just means, uh, you know, you could say to warm people up, to make them feel comfortable. I, the simplest definition is cherishing is to make people happy. You make them happy. You, you just make them comfortable and happy. Nourishing is to feed them, obviously. That's the actual definition of the word. So what's critical is to understand that there is a, sh the, the shepherding equals Cherishing plus nourishing. Like that is the equation that can, I'm not trying to turn this into a big math problem, but it can help you. Cheri uh, shepherding is cherishing plus nourishing. And the problems arise when you go to some kind of extreme, right? Like what is the multiplier of cherishing and what's the one on nourishing? So sometimes we go to this extreme of like, we just want to nourish people. And we don't cherish people because we don't know how, or we think it's somehow impure to, 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 you know, to, to make people happy somehow that's worldly or something. So we're just there for the truth. And I, anybody who wants the truth, I am here to give it to them and I'll give them everything they want, you know, and, and that actually works for like 1% of the people that you're actually trying to find. And the other 99% who are human beings, they need cherishing. They, they need care. And then we go to this other extreme 
which is like, and, and in a sense, this is more common to, tr to do this is like, we, we cherish people because you kind of get this immediate return on it. You know, like I get to know you, I, I want to take care of you. I become fun, you know, and we get along and blah, blah, blah. and you start to believe like, um, this relationship with me, which is going on so well, or like just the, the, the mere fact of our, our society somehow is this, this factor of gaining someone for God's purpose, that they just love me, they love, you know, our group, they love us. And it's like, no, all of that cherishing, like they are definitely comfortable and happy and trusting and open. And you squander it because you never, you never actually try to feed them with something you're not you're, it's not like a betrothing ministry where you're bringing them to the lord himself to find the lord as the spirit in their spirit or find the lord in the word like that's the whole point of being related to people it's not so that my self-esteem gets bolstered it's not a, like I literally i do not care about that at all but the whole goal is that these people could come and be happy enough and comfortable enough that they could breathe the oxygen of the church life long enough for the fog to clear and for them to see clearly the same thing that I see, you know, and it takes time. And, and that means God's economy, you know, that the trying God is for the divine dispensing that he's processed and consummated. He's passed through everything to indwell our spirit. He's there all the time. If we contact him and, have appropriate dealings in our heart he can spread and transform us and then then it's not solo it's corporate and there's you know like all those things have to happen but for those things to come into focus for a person that takes time it's a lens right we look at the bible through a lens of god's economy and people don't just walk into our living room and swap out the lens that they've had their whole life and sometimes we want to do that we want to it's like, could you please apprehend in one evening things that took me 10 years to see clearly, please? <laughs> and if you can't, you know, I guess you're not that open. It's like, that's crazy. These things take a lot of time. So to me, I, I view all my relationships through this. And this is an exaggeration, but in a sense, all relationships can be viewed according to this equation. Is like, we have to care for people by cherishing them and nourishing them. So like, here's some examples. <clears throat> um, like, here's an example in the Bible is like, like in Luke 24, the Lord comes alongside the two disciples and he spent like half a day walking with them and who knows what they talked about. And then at the end, he, and his listening to them, and then he comforted them and he, he put something eternal in them. Um, man, I had this thought and it just like flitted out of my head. Okay, but let me put it this way. Everybody's different, okay? So I meet a person. Oh, let me, let me tell you this one story. I have to make it really generic. So I went to this one country one time for a conference and a brother was like my roommate there, kind of an older brother. Um, in his 60s like I don't know if that's old or not but anyways he was there maybe late 50s and um, 
he was visiting that country, but he had he had lived there before for a number of years. And I noticed that as he would walk around this conference, that all these local people from that country would like, they were drawn to him and they were like, yeah, and they would come near and like, they were so excited to see him. It was like, it was, I, I couldn't fathom it. I was like, who are you? And why do these people love you this much? You're like, it was like Jesus, <laughs> you know, they were like flocking around him, touching his garment. And so I kind of cornered him. I was like, what is going on here? And one thing he shared with me that really touched me was he was like, well, you know, the, the people here, the, the, it takes a long time to get into their heart. But, you know, I would meet people. He's like, then you go, I would go to their house or have them over. And this is, what, this is the part that I remember. He said, in the beginning, maybe for like a year or so, um, 90%, I don't think he used the word vanity, but he was like 90% talk, 10% reality. And then I would leave, you know? And then he's like, but by the, but years would go by. And then eventually that ratio is reversed. And, and I, I, I always was like, yeah, that's, I mean, that really affected me. I was like, that's right. You know, the big mistake is a hundred percent of anything is a mistake. You know, it's like, that's a divide by zero error. You know, it's a big deal. You're not allowed to do that. You, you, you've got to have some cherishing, some nourishing, how much of each? Well, it just depends on the situation. But when we talk about fruit bearing, um, brothers, you just stop me if I'm going off the rails here, please. But when you talk about fruit bearing and new people, we, we, we should, we should err on the side of, ch of cherishing, like uh, someone we just meet who's, who's coming in among us. They just, they, they need to be cared for and, and heard and accommodated, even in what they believe, like, it's not the time on the first date, you know what I mean, on your first appointment to clear them up about this or that. Um, I used to have this practice when I served on campus. I mean, I was meeting with all these 17, 18 year olds. They didn't know anything, you know, but a lot of them were regenerated. So in terms of like the truth that they had, they had pretty much nothing. And I had so much, but they had nothing. And so you might think like, it's gotta be kind of a one-sided relationship, you know? But I learned, this is just an example, that every time I would have an appointment with somebody like this, I always would ask for prayer. Because that's something they could give me, you know? And I would almost invent things to pray for. But, you know, I had kids and I had cars that were broken down or whatever. And I would say, I would say, hey, could we just pray? I'm about to go shop for a car. I want to find the right car. Just pray for the right car. Just, you know, and then the, the nature of, it's like that changed the character of that relationship to be more mutual. And they just felt like they, they stopped feeling like it was like me and them. It's not adversarial anymore. Now we're allies praying for my car. We both care about the car. We both care about my daughter. And like, you can do things to, to, to make people just feel comfortable around you. And it shouldn't be so one-sided. Another, another trick was like, Sometimes you're with people and you're, maybe you're getting into the truth and you don't really know if it's like resonating. Is it getting in? If I had an hour, I would just, I would only go 30 minutes 
And then wherever they were going next, I would just walk with them. And like that sort of changed the whole tone of what we were doing. Now we're side by side. You know, we're not looking at each other. I'm not trying to make any kind of point anymore. We're just two guys walking and talking. And it was funny, like I found so often that the, the real substance of that time would come in the walk because they would be like, you know what? I actually have a question, but that question would never come out in the appointment. Anyways, but like, these are just tricks. Okay. Like you, we can do things to, to make, to find out how to make people comfortable. So one thing that, um, <laughs> you know, one thing we, we have to learn to avoid is, um, it's this thing called being pedantic or pedantry. Being pedantic means, okay, pedantry is this. It's an unnecessary or ostentatious display of knowledge. And by defining the word, I almost commit the crime, right? But that's what pedantry is. It means like I know something and then I have an opportunity to show that I know something and I just do it because look at what I know. And when you do this, um, it, it, it happens in appointments or it happens in home meetings a lot. And it's a huge mistake because it makes people uncomfortable. And that doesn't mean we're compromising the truth, but it just means like, let me put it this way. Like, we, again, our goal is how can this person be happy enough and comfortable enough to be with us long enough to apprehend the mystery of Christ. How can we make that happen? Long enough. It's not going to come just through me and my friendship. My, my friendship with you is so that you could be with us long enough to see something, to touch something, to experience something, to taste something that would attached you directly to the Lord Jesus in your spirit, that you would have a vision of Christ. He would show you a vision of the church, revelation of the church and God's purpose long enough. And you, if you ask me, like, are you willing to make some compromises to keep them with us long enough? I would say, absolutely. Not any major compromises, but all bend over backwards to make sure that you are happy enough comfortable enough to be with us long enough and by the way i have to be you know praying and nourishing like it's not passive on our part so you think about like in matthew 17 there's this um thing where peter was asked by some tax collectors if the lord paid the temple tax and he said yep and then the lord came and showed him like we don't pay the temple tax because it's my house <laughs> i don't pay a tax for my own house. And Peter got clear and everyone's clear. The Lord doesn't need to pay the tax. And then the Lord said, but so they're not stumbled, we'll pay it. And watch me talked about that in one of his commentaries on Matthew. And he, the phrase there was, he says, we have to give people some leeway. Like according to the truth, the Lord shouldn't have paid anything, but you just give people leeway. And I know this can be abused and, you know, I don't care if that can be abused. The fact is when people come into our midst, it's good to give them some leeway. Okay. 
And let me give you some examples. It's like, like I don't know if anyone would ever, anyways, this these things really happen. It's like, I had a, a friend, uh, see, I use the word friend, but anyway, there's a, a student in Ath where I was from and he worked for me. He came to a, a meeting. He wasn't in the church life, but he came to a meeting. All the students were sharing about stuff and there was something, it was really solid. And then he stood up at the end and he said, I cannot wait until we're all in heaven and we're just, you know, he just said something kind of shallow and superficial, but he was really excited. He's like, you know, and believe it or not, there are people who would feel like what he said needed to be adjusted or fixed, you know, like, I don't know if you know this, but, um, we're not going to go to heaven, you know. <laughs> when people come into our midst and they function, what they're saying is, I like it here. I like you people. I, I want to be part of it. I'm going to chip in. I I'm trying. Like, and that should be encouraged. Uh, sometimes we're so quick to, to adjust people or to stand for something in the truth. Uh, when really there's no, there's no purpose in doing so, you know, like someone says, um, what were some examples I gave brothers? Like, uh, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Oh yeah, Merry Christmas. I mean, I don't want to cause a problem here. Okay. But like when someone says Merry Christmas to me and, and it's like, and there's a little context of fellowship, you know, oh, Merry Christmas. You know what they're really, it's like, you have to learn to hear what are they really saying? What are they really saying? They're not saying, deep down, I really support the leavening of Christ and mixing in all these pagan customs. I'm really all about that. How about you? They're not saying that. What they're saying is, uh, <laughs> You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. It's winter. Merry Christmas. That's kind of one of the things we do. You know, it's like, it's, it's not that deep. And so I usually respond. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't say the kingdom of God is like a woman hiding leaven and three measures of meal. Like that's not the time for that. That's not what that's about. Right. Sometimes we're just, we just have to, we just have to stand for like, it's like, no, don't you understand how that will come off? And now the person is like a little freaked out. And now they might not be with us long enough, happy enough to really apprehend what we're about. And we're not actually about, you know, standing against the holiday. That's, that's peripheral, you know, but I, when someone says Merry Christmas to me, you know, I just say you too. I'm not the Grinch. I, I just, I'm, I want you, I don't want you to have a sad Christmas. You know, I have a Merry Christmas. It's like, that's not my fight, right? That's not our fight. And we have to, <laughs> I'm getting way off the rails, but we have to learn how to just like, it's like, I just, I'm not going to compromise the truth. I'm not going to go home and buy a wreath, like obviously, right? But I do want you to be happy enough. You know, sometimes people say, um, what church, you know, where do you go to church? And I've seen this happen too. And it's like, don't you know, there's only one, you know, you, you, or, <laughs> <laughs> or, 
or you know, in every locale, or, or something really mysterious like, here we are in Atlanta, and there's actually only one church. Did you know that? Did you know that? And the person is like, what they really were saying was, I'm a serious Christian. I'm looking for fellowship. Um, and I want to know, do you have fellowship that I might be interested in? Like, that's all they're saying. So it's okay to say, oh, I meet with the church in Atlanta. We, we meet over there down the road. Like, you don't have to dive into things and explain things, you know? But the, the thing is, the governing principle should operate, which is um, I am trying to find a way. I'm praying. I'm considering you. I'm trying to have a relationship with you to make you comfortable. That doesn't mean I'm political. It just means I'm polite. I, I avoid things that would make you uncomfortable unless I detect that you are at a place where you could receive something solid because that's the goal. We're progressing towards solid food and towards revelation. And like, actually, maybe you're, you would see so much that you would commit your whole life to come this way. That would be great. But I, I feel like this matter of being friends with people um, is really helped when you come at it according to cherishing and nourishing. Everything we do is like, let's try to make people comfortable so that we can put something in, something of reality, so that they can receive something solid. We do it with our own kids, right? Why wouldn't we do it with, with like, I, my son's 16 years old. He's in the room right behind me. I have to do a lot to make him happy before he can receive something eternal. And I don't mind. That's just where he is. Does that all get turned off like a switch when he turns 18 or 19? No, people are just the same. We have to take care of them uh, where they are. Anyway, so <laughs> brothers, uh, I went all over the place, but maybe you can jump in now. That's that good. <clears throat> yeah, I think... Uh... Yeah, it's, it's very it's very helpful, and and uh, when we're when we're contacting, when we're with people, you know, it, we're not in the realm of trying to. Uh, I want you to join my church. Mm -hmm. um, we want them, you know, and I, I was just, I really appreciated a lot of what you shared because, you know, this was what the Lord did. He just knew people, you know. The even he cared for the the the, the Pharisees, he cared for them. Yeah. He didn't want them to be stumbled. You know, I was just I think anyway. Uh, Trevor has a point I think to share about disposition, and then we're going to finish up. And I think that point is really helpful because a lot of times what gets in the way of our caring for people is is actually just our disposition. Actually, going along with what Phil was saying, you know, another example in the word is Acts 17 with, with Paul. Oh, yeah. He goes to Athens and, you know, they have all these yeah. idol gods. And I, I love this story so much because it's just, it's just totally something none of us would do. It, you know, they get to the, they get to this last one and it's like, well, what's, what's that one? And he, you know, he's asking, asking them all these questions and, and they, you know, that's the unknown God. That's the unknown God. 
and he doesn't he doesn't come back from a doctrinal truth don't you know that there's only one god deuteronomy 6 4 god is one there's only one god you know um no he just he just says oh i know i know the unknown god do, do you guys know the unknown god and so he's he's using um he's using the environment and the situation not to uh, you know, you have to feed the person over time and then, and then they'll get adjusted. So let's just get them saved with the unknown God. His name is Jesus Christ. And then we'll work from there. And, and eventually you'll realize that he's the only one. So I, I love this. I love this story so much. Um, a very, very quick story that I think is another practical thing. This is a, from a German student that I actually met here. And he said that he was very, and maybe some of you feel this way. He said he was, he, he was a very awkward kid growing up and he just didn't know, he didn't know how to make friends and, and he just didn't know what to do. And he was really seeking the Lord. And even at his church, he couldn't really make a lot of friends. And then he said, one day the pastor, you know, he, he was watching some video on YouTube and this pastor said, you have to get over the fact that people don't care about you at all. And so you have to go out and you have to get to know people. And this was like this profound like realization to him. He was just figuring that some people would eventually approach him and befriend him and all this stuff. And then he realized, okay, I have to get over this idea that people don't care about me. Okay. I know your family does. I hope they do. But he was, he's saying about people like in the world. And so what he ended up doing, I think this is incredible. What he ended up doing, um, and, and I think the pastor also suggested this, just start asking people questions about themselves. And so he, he went back to his church, his, his like youth group, and he just started, he never talked about himself. And all he did was ask people questions and he just didn't know he was awkward. And he's like, I don't know what else to do. And he said, eventually, like everybody loved him because they love talking about themselves. Okay. People love talking about themselves. Yeah. And he said, he realized that like, he was eventually friends with everybody. Everybody loved him and nobody knew anything about him. Okay. That's that's like the best testimony ever, you know? So eventually he had all of these friends and all he did was ask questions. So this is like really practical in the sense that like, that's all you have to do. Just start asking questions about people and they have no problem talking about themselves. Okay. The last concept, the last concept we're going to hit. Okay. I, I don't know a better way to, to explain this. And it's going to be very short because all we're going to do is read something. This concept is something that a lot of times we hit and it's like, I don't want to do something because it's out of my natural ability. Okay. And so I, I realized coming into the church life that I, my, my natural abilities have to pass through death and resurrection and then they're useful to the Lord. And I don't want to produce wood, grass and stubble. So what my goal is, is to just get enough of the Lord and eventually I'm just producing gold, silver, and precious stone. Okay. Okay. I understand the thought concept and, and, and the, 
the train of thought that you go down. You know, before before I knew any of this stuff that I could be natural, I just did stuff. You know, I didn't I didn't have to analyze like was that the Lord or something. I just did it. Even when it was preaching the gospel, I would just do it. You know. And then, and then I learned all this stuff about like passing through death and resurrection. And then I, and then it, it literally paralyzes you. Okay. And you're like, oh, I don't, man, I don't know if this is the Lord or not, you know, you know, and you're just like, you know, okay. Okay. What we're going to show you right now, this was a Q and R that, that happened. Uh, sorry, I'm not showing this. I, I'm going to show you the screen. Uh, this is a Q and R that happened in uh in the boston training okay and it was it was with uh ron kingis okay so brother ron is is doing this q r and of course the trainees have this thought okay so i'm going to share this with you and cassette uh, you were supposed to go to class but i guess we're more interesting <laughs> okay yeah i have so, them up on my uh my phone i switched it up they're on my phone and you guys are on my laptop <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Priorities, you know, seek first the kingdom. Okay. So this is, this is the thing to set. Can you, can you, uh, this is the conversation. So can you read this to us, please? Sure. How can we avoid serving in our natural ability if we are chosen to serve in a way that we have a talent to do things? You can't avoid it. You have to use your natural ability. Back in the old days when you were in the FTTA and you're asked to do some food preparation in the kitchen, can you say to the training to be excused because of your natural culinary ability? There's a law in 1 Corinthians, first the natural and then the spiritual. You just do it. I haven't heard this so much from the second year sisters. I thought it was really cute, but you asked them to help and she was humble and didn't know because she was too natural. Ever eventually I told her, you're so natural about being natural. <laughs> just forget the whole thing and do it. Now the Lord has two main ways of dealing with our natural ability. One way is the way he dealt with Moses, which is to yank you out of the situation and give you no opportunity to do one thing for him until your natural ability has been decisively dealt with. The other thing is to put you in a situation where you have to serve and use your natural ability and he deals with you. If that's the way he's doing it, that's up to him. In a simple way, stop being so natural about being so natural. Just realize we're in this continuum. Being natural is not sinful. It's better to have the task done with someone who has talent versus done ineptly. I hope that helps. At least I kind of like hearing that response. Wow. Does that, does that help, Cassette? I, I hope that helps a lot of people. Sure. It helped me when I heard it. You know, it's like, even if you're naturally gifted at evangelism, or you're naturally gifted at certain things, you know, it's oftentimes like, okay, I can edit videos. And so then the brothers asked me to edit videos. Well, I can't do that because it's natural. Yeah. So get somebody else to do it because they're really bad at it. And I guess the <laughs> logic is if you're bad at it, then it's somehow spiritual. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, this is, this is just something that we, we just need to endeavor to continue doing. And it's just good to have it in your consciousness but it shouldn't let you par it shouldn't paralyze you. Okay. Uh, that's, that's all I got. That's all I got. Okay. Well, yeah. Being passive and never helps. Actually, the more we, um, the more we just 
serve and uh, and function, the more actually the Lord has the. Okay. Can y'all still hear me? Yep. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the Lord wants to shine on us and we can just tell the Lord what we want. Lord, I'm serving, but I don't want to do this naturally. So you need to shine on me and the Lord will be faithful to do that. Um, so I think, yeah, anyway, we've we <laughs> put a number of things. And uh, next week, we're going to start getting more into how we speak to people about the Lord. How do we present the truth? You know, now we have friends, right? But how do we bring the Lord into that friendship? Yeah. How do we share the, the truth? How do we share the Lord with people? So um, anyway, next week, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get into that uh, a little bit more.